right, we are live. There should be a light. There's a light. Ooh, we even started with music. We're like an official podcast. Oh, yeah, I tell you. I actually have a, a wonderful Baroque symphony thing that I'd like to have kind of lead into all of these. Got a different one from Torah, but... Uh, Next time. Those should start with the Nagu. Yeah, that should start with the Nagu. Josh was saying. There it is, yeah. yeah. Oh, Richard, so, Richard's got a good one too. Well, it'd be great if we get all of us, including Richard, to sing the Nagu. And, and then Judah could like end it with a hua, you know, and then we move into it. Right. So uh, Shemini is our portion. It is uh, two days before Rosh Kodesh ER. Uh, that would be on the second day of the week. And uh, we did the blessing for that, which was cool. And uh, we'll go through the month of ER. And then we'll get into Sivan. And when we're six days deep into it, we'll be on our next. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's uh, what's the word for travel? Chag regalim. Regalim. So this would be Hag regal. Hag regal. So we'll do the reggae stuff uh, for uh, for Pentecost or Shavuot, and that's great. So I hope we'll get together for prayers. It's always good if we get a minion for that kind of stuff. It's really uh, kind of. Neat. And the master's name is uh, throughout a lot of that, as uh, as we reflect on the fact that this is the one of the rare times when we actually have uh, leaven in uh, sacrifices. Yes, ma'am. We are not sure if there will be a um, evening gathering to discuss Ruth because our traditional hosts don't go home. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but but someone may actually lend them. Well, someone might, but that evening thing is not very kid friendly. So the Bartos family is planning to have an ice cream party for the children. So, um, anyone's welcome. Um, nice. And ice cream are involved. And you're also going to read Ruth. Actually, read Ruth is is not on the agenda for that. But one. we'll just talk um, about Ruth. Got it. Maybe talking about Ruth, is, we so, expect people to maybe have read it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Got it. So will there be a hose to rinse off bits from the ice cream? We'll yeah. Creamy oh. barley flavor. Ooh, barley flavor. <laughs> beer cream. Beer, 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 beer cream. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, every child's looking for barley flavor. You can make. You can make scotch out of them. True. Yes. Another, another popular flavor well. for children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> If enough demand is present, we will get some scotch. scotch. <laughs> <laughs> if there's enough demand, you'll get this guy. That's yeah. great. I think there is no other announcements, right? Other than uh, we're footage. Am I missing any? I mean, we're going to do that now. So, anything else? Your granddaughter is turning one on Wednesday. One on Wednesday, that's Absolute correct. Granddaughter. Yes, Rosie is uh, one on Wednesday. I bought a lovely rose-handled seven shot Smith and Wesson revolver on the day of her birth, which I will shoot in her honor. (laughs) 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 Actually, come to pass, it's my long-term plan for retirement uh, 
Don't anybody tell Isaac that he's giving that. That's right, that's right. Rather infamously showed up in yeah. Instagram with Rosie's picture on the other screen. Yeah, yeah, I got in trouble because cool. she looked like a Mr. Not cool. Magoo or something. She did not like that. Yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't like that. That was actually leading, so. Oh, uh, as it should be. As it should be. Well, she had to use ass. I requested that that not happen when Richard was born, and he did not. And it, I you preempted. You know they don't, but the thing is, they don't make the very many Richard shot. handled shotguns. They so that definitely helped. You didn't know he coordinated with me either. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, let's uh, recall that uh, it's a tradition and a lovely one at that to bless God for the food before we eat, because He's provided so bountifully and consistently for us. But it's actually a command of the Torah that we bless him when we're full and satisfied. So let's uh, let's just do that now, shall we? <laughs> compete with there's a lot of ladies so you know you've got to really get the person there so you can hear the man's voice we were outnumbered for a long time well so yes we're in parashat shmini eight um eighth day because we're talking about the eighth day of the ceremony that um we anoint the priest for the very first time we get uh this is the goal right this is where they were going with the beginning of the tabernacle they built the tabernacle, God's presence shows up, we need to interact with God. So God sets up a priesthood so that we can interact with him. And this is the final day of the inauguration of that priesthood so that they will be able to uh, mediate on behalf of the people with God. Sophia, when you have something very important to do, are you very careful about it? Do you have any examples? What's something you've done that was very important you were very careful to do? Looking for leaven. Did you look for leaven with Daddy? She hid it. Oh, you hid it. Were you very careful to hide the leaven? Yes. And I'm also sometimes very careful of when Mommy says to pick up the playroom and make sure every single toy Oh. Every single toy. Oh, that is so Do you, smart. Are you, you have to you have to move like pay attention, right? You can't just do too fast. You have to know what you're doing. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, we, do you sometimes also do something very very carefully? Careful about. What are you careful about? Drawing a knife. 
Drying knives? Okay, yes. Well, that's a cut in your mouth. That's a really good answer. It's a very good answer. You should always be careful drying knives. Yeah, wetting them too. Right, true. For that matter, anytime you touch a knife, you should be careful with a knife. Pocketing them, throwing them. But see, so the priest, when he was doing the, when Aaron was doing the offerings, this was the first time for some very important offerings. And they would never do them ever again. These were special offerings. So if you read the book, it talks about all of the, the, the things they had to do. There was lots of stuff they had to do, lots of steps. And I can imagine, my father-in-law likes to talk about the idea of like, smelling it, hearing it, like you're there. And I can only imagine Aaron being very careful as he got ready the, uh, got ready the animal, he got the blood to put on the altar, he put the, the meat on fire, he got fire ready. He was probably very careful. You, kind of see him moving maybe a little bit slowly because he's trying to be very careful to do it exactly right. And you know what? He did. He did it exactly the way that God said to do it. 100% do anything wrong. did it perfect. And he was very careful to do it perfect. And it's really an important lesson to us that sometimes things require us to be very, very careful. And we're supposed to do them perfectly. Uh, my wife uh, talks about her uh, hourly wage for some work she does from home, some accounting work, and she makes a point to people who, who pay her an hourly wage that she's worth her money because she moves quickly, but she still moves perfectly. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I think that's a trick. It's a skill. It's difficult to do. But for those of us who maybe aren't as good at moving fast and doing everything perfect the first time, um, it's important to pay attention, to do things mindfully. And I think about things like the prayers. If you pray in the morning, the, the blessing before the Torah, it includes here the different things you should do, and one of them is uh, is kind of praying intentionally. And it's so easy to read the words, not mean what they're saying, mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that you're, it's good to do, it's a mitzvah, is to, to pray by thinking about it, to pay attention, to do it carefully. And uh, there are lots of things in life this way. Kavanah. Right, Kavanah in Hebrew, concentration. Um, and there are lots of things that God has commanded us to do, to be very, very carefully, to be very, very precise on might be hiding the leaven, more importantly, cleaning up the leaven. Be very careful. Don't want to lose any of it. And uh, there are lots of things like that. And I think it's important. Right, right, right. Very important that we uh, that we recognize when those times are here, because I think that sometimes um, it's easy in life to get used to life and get kind of you get sloppy because it's normal and it's a habit. And maybe it's your prayers, maybe it's reading your Bible, maybe it's um, maybe it's doing a lot of different types of tasks. Praying after you eat, forgetting to do that. Um, you know, those types of things. So we need to be mindful. And uh, Aaron gives a great example of what that looks like. Amen. And as I, like I said, it's in my mind's eye this year. I'm just imagining him moving about a half step slower than normal. You know, maybe making sure he's got, you know, he picks up that grain, make sure he count three fingers. Okay, three fingers full. You know, he's going to make sure he's doing it right. Um, and he did. And I think it's a lot of, to Aaron's credit. He did everything perfectly. Amen. We were speaking today that even driving a half step slower, sometimes mm -hmm. be the more right. careful approach. Absolutely. Safe trip, no two Yeah. Right. You get extra points if you get there safely. That's right. <laughs> Especially if they're driving crazy around you. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Also mm -hmm. true. We saw one day we driving crazy in it, and we actually saw a sheriff behind it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. window. That's what happens Good sometimes. Mm -hmm. If you don't drive carefully, then you will get in trouble. And that's the thing. Aaron would have been in very big trouble if he hadn't done this carefully. So, well, it's funny you should bring up someone or, or a couple of guys that perhaps didn't 
didn't do things so carefully. very careful about bringing stretch fire. It's an interesting contrast here. So, so to set this up, we talk about Aaron's sons, and they get in big trouble for offering up incense. But one of the things that's really interesting, they, do, they don't follow God's rules. Whatever rule they broke, they broke one of them. And they die. God takes them out because they sinned grievously in a very important place. The altars and the sacrifices in the temple, the tabernacle, very, very important. So there's the rules, and the penalty is death. Very serious. Now, one of the things fascinating about this is the setup. I didn't know this this year, but it says that right after Aaron offers up all the offerings, they go into the tab tent of meeting. And sages say, this is so weird. Why did they go into, like, what was the reason for that? It's not listed in, like, the directions. Here are all the things you're supposed to do. Tent of meeting is not one of them. And the way you're supposed to do it. And the way you're supposed to do it. So why does Moses take Aaron to the tent of meeting? So the tradition is that he went into the tent of meeting with Moses. So Moses could show him the one other step they hadn't got to yet, which was the incense offering. And you are supposed to offer incense inside the tabernacle and to do it the right way. And this is normal. You do it every day. There's an incense offering that she put out, whatever. And I think it's every day. Anyway, the point is, if I don't know, I should the priest. But the point is that they did know. They did it the right way. And so you can kind of get like the, you know, can you kind of imagine? So Aaron goes in, he offers the incense. And up until this point, God's presence hasn't come down on the tent of meeting. There's a little bit of anxiety. The tradition says maybe Aaron's feeling a little bad. Like, oh man, I did all these offerings and God's still here yet. Moses is like, don't worry. Let's go in the tent of meeting. We'll interact with God. We'll pray. He'll show up. And he does. So you can, and it's huge. Fire comes from heaven, lights the altar on fire, burns up the offerings. All the people shout. They're so excited. They fall down, bow down. And you can just kind of see the wheels turning in Nadab and Abihu's mind. And they're thinking, whoa, that was awesome. Are you excited? I'm excited. This is amazing. You know what? Dad walked in there, threw, on, threw some incense on the fire pan, and God showed up. This was awesome. Let's do it too. Mm. They weren't supposed to. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about being careful. They got carried away. They let their emotions, they let their excitement take them outside of the Torah. And I think this happens to us too. Maybe it's in big things like um, doing something we know is wrong because we really want to. Sometimes it's we think we're doing what's right, kind of like Nadab and Abihu. You know, you're really excited about the Torah. So you find somebody who disagrees with you and you yell at them to make them try to change their minds so they will keep the Torah too. That's always a good idea. That doesn't normally work, and it's normally not a good idea. Um, there were occasions in human history where God called prophets to be that guy, but most of the time that's not the best approach. And, um, but we get carried away. We get emotional, get excited or whatever, and you can make a mistake when you let your feelings uh, get ahead of what you know to be right. Micah has a comment. Well, let's I don't remember who said this, but about in chapter 10, in verse 9, about peace not drinking intoxicating wine. Mm-hmm. So somebody said that the mitzvah was put in there because they didn't have an obvious who brought the fire into the temple, into the, into the Holy of Holies, because they had to drink intoxicating mm-hmm. wine, and mm-hmm. drunk, so they met. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Rashi. Yeah, I, yeah, Rashi, I think, does make that comment. Mm-hmm. I got you, buddy. The world <laughs> continues today because Greg did that. Um, but we, uh, no, but that's a point. And, and I think that's one explanation. Um, <laughs> they say, uh, you know, how do you know that that was what it was? That one, one sage was saying, well, it's because uh, the commandment's right after that. And that's how you explain. And they gave the example of like, a servant getting drunk all the time and his master 
you know, axes him off, and then they hire the new one, and he makes sure it tells the new one, don't do that. <laughs> it's like, now we know what got the other one in trouble. I've got Well, uh, I, I was thinking, uh, as you were speaking, magic. Hmm. Throwing the incense on the fire. And, okay. You know, whatever. And then I was thinking also, you know, in the New Testament where the magician was wanting to follow, was it Peter? Right, he wanted the he was, spirit. He was healing, and he said, give me, impart Sign me, you know, with that same power. Right. And I can't remember what happened to him, but it wasn't good. It went blind. Yeah, that was not good. You know, so I'm seeing kind of a correlation, possibly. Yeah, there is. I mean, they're possibly there, too. Time to tap into to God yeah. your own way. Saying, do it this way, and disobeying. Well, and also acting kind of like you're in charge, right? Exactly. Right. I've got a bunch of comments. I've got my yeah, problem with that. I kind of interrupted you earlier. I apologize. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I couldn't remember. Um, I'll come back to it. Um, but I couldn't remember either about the incense and how long. It's twice a day, Exodus 30, verse 7 through 9 or so. Um, every morning when Aaron dresses uh, dresses the lamps, he mm. shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. Mm. A regular or tamid uh, incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, well, I mean, you, you grew up with it in our house. We call it threatening management. So I have things about knowing that we make mistakes, preventing mistakes, how we manage the preventing of mistakes by putting up barriers that trap the errors from following through and causing them. And it could be something like as simple because alcohol reduces one's natural inhibitions to doing things. So could be alcohol, but it also could be just simple emotion, just so mm -hmm. excited. So uh, the the Air Force came up with the idea after World War II when they had jets. People were dying in jets because they were very new and very dangerous. So they came up with the idea that we'll have a precision team that's very, very good, very practiced and precise, and they'll show, they'll go around to all the Air Force bases and they'll show that it's actually safe to fly jets as long as you do it according to the rules. And so that's where air shows, I mean, that's really where the modern air show started was the Thunderbirds doing, basically flying precision over crowds and everybody get excited. Oh, isn't it great? <clears throat> so Fairchild Air Force Base, this is about 20 years ago, uh, B-52 commander thought, you know, this, everybody's all excited and it's all about promoting, you know, promoting the Air Force and promoting, you know, jets and all this stuff. So he decided that in his B-52, which is a very large bomber, that he would maybe give the, the air show something more than just a low pass over the field. They give the crowds a lot of excitement. And so in his excitement, he actually did the airplane probably a lot more than it should ever have done. But it's something he'd gotten away with before. And so he, he took that safety margin and he moved it way up because it was exciting. And a lot of people would be excited. And in fact, doing a slow roll over the middle of the field with a B-52 actually struck the wind on the ground as he was doing roll. Mm -hmm. And the airplane obviously scatter all over the place. People in the middle of the field were killed. It's mm. horrific. And it's actually, it's the example. It's used as the example of somebody allowing their ambition to override their, what they know to be good judgment. Mm, mm -hmm. That's good. And I think that's, uh, that's one reason why alcohol gets brought up. It's not so much to say that it is where it is or where it isn't, but it's the same concept. Anytime you allow, because emotions are essentially chemicals in your body, and they override your thinking. Sometimes this is very good. Sometimes you need emotions to help you make a decision that's hard to make. Mm. Emotions are not 
uh, bad in and of themselves, but you have to learn how to control them, how to wield them. And it's kind of like, I mean, so alcohol is a similar effect. And uh, interestingly enough, the sages say that when a, when a sage, scholar, is going to make a halakhic judgment or a, a, a an explanation or a decree on what's right and wrong based on the Torah, they're going to, make a, um, they're going to issue kind of like a, not a commandment, but an interpretation of the commandment on how you should carry it out. You should never do that under the influence of alcohol because it impairs your judgment. Modern society does this too. You go out for lunch when you're in the middle of a work day, it's against the rules to get a beer or a glass of wine because they know when you come back to work again, you won't be able to think as clearly. Um, and, and then, you know, different, different strokes for different folks on the alcohol thing and some people choose not to drink and that's part of the reason. For those who do choose to drink, it's about doing it responsibly at the right time and in the right amount because we are commanded by God not to let our thinking become so diluted lest we do things that we shouldn't. And I think that's something to keep in mind even when you are, if you are drinking alcohol, the timing. Maybe it's not appropriate to do it at a certain time because you do need to make an important decision. Or you need to say something that's very important. Or maybe you're tempted to do something wrong and this is not the best time to be drinking because you're going to probably want to do something wrong then because you're not as focused. Um, this goes back to earlier. Aaron was focused. Aaron devoted all of his mental energy to doing the right thing. His sons made the mistake of getting distracted. Let something else, whether it was alcohol or emotion or pride or whatever it might be, get in the way. And they stopped thinking about what God wanted them to do. And that was a huge mistake. I got Gregory first, then my dad. And I wasn't sure. Oh, my, my father in Go ahead. No. But just that uh, Tim Hag brought up, and I had forgotten about this, but that when it came to the instance which my father in law just read, it is only for the high priest. Mm. Like that, that is a key component into why it was wrong. And uh, he kind of dives into the Hebrew word there. Zerah could potentially be like foreign, alien, you know, right. some of the translations. Avoda Zerah is, like, is a uh, Right, so it's, it's not that like, idol worship. it wasn't, you know, not necessarily Gentile fire, but it's like you weren't, that wasn't for you to do. Right. You're not the high right. priest. You may be the family, but there is only one high priest, right. and he is an individual and uh, so that was potentially another inappropriate. Let me jump in real quick because that's what I was going to go to when oh. I first brought this up. Keep going. Because um, Gregory's exactly right. Um, if we look at Leviticus 10.1, it says, Now Nadav and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire. Right. But that word is not normally translated as unauthorized. It's only, you know, three, four times. Strange. Yeah, well, um, if you're in Psalms or in some of the other books, strange is, is, is good. But I think in the rest of the Torah, you can find a better example. And it, it speaks to what, what Gregory was just talking about. It's best, in my mind, translated in this context as outsider. Mm. I'll give you a couple of examples. You shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. If any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Right. Same word, right. Zur, right? Um, no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord. Hmm. Let him become like Korah. Gonna mention Korah. him. That's yeah, yeah, right. No. Okay. The, yeah. So here's a. He's I'm, a Levite, not a priest. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you, Korah? I'm not familiar. Korah. You want to ground open up and suck So Korah. Oh, okay. Korah. Korah in English 
he is a descendant of Levi. Mm -hmm. But he decides that that's not good enough. He wants the priesthood also. He feels like it's not fair that God only picked one family to be a priest. Uh, so he insists uh, that he that everyone is holy and everyone can be priests. What's interesting about that particular situation is he convinces a couple hundred of his friends to think that too. So Moses tells them, okay, look, all of you who think that, go ahead and bring it, bring in your fire pants, bring in your incense, and let's see what God really thinks. And they do exactly what Nadeva and Abihu do. They put the incense on the fire, and fire comes out of the altar and takes them all out. Because that's not the rule. And they acted like, and that's important, that's what we go back to when we talk with you. It has to do with obedience. I think the thing that we get lose track of is sometimes it's like, well, that seems like a harsh penalty. But God said, don't do this. You know, when when when, you're, when your child is wanting to touch the stove, you say, don't do that. And sometimes you smack their hand when they get close. And that's harsh. But you know what's a lot worse? Is if they grab onto a hot item on the stove and scald their hand permanently. God knows what he's doing. He's telling us, this is not for you. This is for only a very important, special person for an important, special reason. I decide what's safe and what's not. When we try to say, no, I can make that decision, we do the same thing, really, that Adam and Eve did. And, and you know, it says, I am God. I can make the decision. I can be God, too. And we can't. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the best examples outside the Torah of this word that helped me understand it uh, it's in First Kings three. If you'll recall, uh, you, you've got uh, the woman; her child gets stolen. Mm -hmm. Solomon. Yeah. Right. So, uh, on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. Did you hear the word Zur? No one? There was no one else. No sir. There was no outside. There was no one outside of us. We were in. That's it. Speak to it, you can dance. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my son giving you his rendition of uh, some the rumba. lovely beach melody. Yeah. Or I was thinking Morris Code. Oh, right, oh, right, that right. Is. That was his car. Right, that was. He, <laughs> he agrees. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's a great example of Korok, great example. Thank you for looking at the different words for strange. Because I think that's, it helps to keep in mind, again, so we'll go back to, the reason is not clear. What we definitely know is they disobeyed God. That's definitive. And this is a time and a place, an experience, that that was not an option. Because the whole point of the tabernacle was what? For God to dwell among his people. God to dwell among his people. I don't know about you. I have a lot of very spiritual experiences. I've never personally met God in the flesh. If you have, I would love to hear about that sometime. But these people are going to meet God. God was going to interact with them physically. God is so incredibly holy, and we are so incredibly not, that if we don't follow the exactly perfect protocol to make that possible, then we will die. So God set it up. This is how it's going to work. And some people decided they would rather try it their own way. And they died. I mean, 
the thing is, the universe is structured. This is the way that it works. I mean, whether you're creating fire, you're developing, you know, a nuclear reaction, whatever it might be. If, if, if some guy, my brother-in-law here works for Duke Energy. Duke Energy has nuclear power plants. If someone decides that they would like to experience nuclear power up front and walks into the radioactive room, they're going to die. That may seem harsh, but it is reality. And they made that decision kind of knowing they were going to potentially die. Now, they may have been drunk. They may have been excited. Irrelevant, they still die. That's like what happens to Abraham and Abigail. Natural consequence, as my wife said. Not a punishment. Right. I don't think that God's being cruel here. He's making a, he is making a point, but he's doing what's, what's natural to what happens. He's God. He's holy. People got too close in a way they weren't supposed to. The good news is how many other people besides Nadab and Abihu die offering uh, incense? Besides, okay, the Fox group, that, they did, that was a mistake. They tried, thought maybe, well, there's only two. You have 200, 400, maybe that would be better. But they, that's not why they died. Well, some of the, well, Korah, not so much, but his followers did do the incense thing. But after that, who else? No one. Like, like the guy that was carrying, gathering wood right. on the Sabbath. One calf. was enough. The golden calf, right. A bunch of people died for doing the golden calf. To make another golden calf, well, some did later. They got in trouble too, but there's a long time. For hundreds of years, no one did golden calves. And after that second set of golden calves, when we got hauled off to Babylon, they didn't make any more. Because you know what? I'm a firstborn. I got spanked more than me and my brothers. It's true. Might have been because I was worse, less, less obedient than them. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been because I was less obedient than them might have also been because they got to see what happens when you do something you're not supposed to do. Perks of being a second born. So you watch and you go, ooh, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that. And I think that's kind of God's intent here. God was very harsh. But his reason was because he'd rather be very harsh for one or two people and have millions do it right than be wishy-washy and everyone decides, maybe I'll try that too. And he has to keep getting harsher because no one's listening. And he did, he did it the right way. He started it strong. We got my dad, and then I've got Gloria and Morgan. Was that Morgan or was it Sophia? That was Sophia earlier. Um, it's not just the, on the negative side, though, it's on the positive. We have exemplars here, both the positive and the negative examples. So the exemplar, obviously, of positive is Aaron and Moses. They, right. They do it perfectly. Right. So all of so uh, Aaron's other two sons see this, and they go, oh, this is how you're supposed to do it, because they, they see it act out. Hmm. And actually, even for Aaron himself, the acting it out, this is the, this is another wonderful thing. God just doesn't give a list. He actually has Moses as the teacher. Physical, physical example. Physical example. The teacher walks Aaron through. So it's it's kinetic and it's it's spatial. And because it's kinetic and spatial, it's deep-seated memory that we will remember. It's mm. not just a list that we memorize. Mm. It actually walked through it. Okay, I remember how to do this. Now, everyone, starting with his sons, everyone afterwards... Everybody knows, well, yeah, this is how you do it, because I watched I watched my high priest, my dad did this, this is the way that I'm going to do it. So it wasn't just the negative, don't do that, otherwise you die. Right. It's a positive as well. Right. God provides, and it's, it is very, it is very fortunate to be the second born, or third born in my case, because you can see the ones ahead of you get spanked and rewarded in a way that you didn't have to experience, so it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful way to, to learn, yep. and so we see in this case, it's the first of everything. You know, this first time we do something, and the sages say this: the first time you do something is a big deal, right? Because from that, everything else then flows. So, 
first time we do this stuff for the, for the tabernacles, it really didn't feel because we needed to do it right. Right. Well, I think it's one reason why the firstborn is given so much responsibility, extra inheritance. There's a lot of offer, uh, special things you do with the firstborn. There's a special offer you give for having a firstborn son. The reason, I think, is because firstborn's a big deal. It's first time for a lot of things. And as Yeshua says, much is given, much is required. So it's not surprising that when you look in the Bible and a firstborn does something wrong, the penalty is usually stiffer for them like than Israel. it is for their siblings. Israel. Right. Israel. Israel's his firstborn. They get tough punishment. Reuben. Reuben does something wrong. He gets, you know, cut out of being a firstborn. Like, it's a big deal. You know, it's funny that Judah does some stuff wrong too, but he gets to be all the blessings because he wasn't, well, I think part of it is he wasn't firstborn. And I think that there's responsibility that comes with it. Um, I watch him. I have one boy, one little son. He gets undivided parental attention from two parents on a regular basis. He's the only one of any of the children will ever have. And four grandparents. That will, get, right, that will get quite that much attention, most likely. And you know what? That's That gives him an advantage because he has so much adult interaction. And that also means that his expectations for him are high because he's had all of that. And I've got, I think Lori had a person and I make sure we get Morgan's on it too. Well, thinking Aaron was the high priest, okay? He was instructed to give do the incense, incense being represent symbolic of prayer. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that the pre high priest is also the one that goes into the Holy of Holies. Right, once a year. Exactly. As a representative of the nation of Israel. Right. And so, how could an outsider be a representative Ooh. of Israel? They could not. Right, right. Because hmm. there is only one who can represent Israel. Exactly. And if they go in unrightly, Okay, they get zapped. Right, right. <laughs> On Yom Kippur. Right, oh. right, right. Even the one has rules he has to follow. And if he does them wrong, it doesn't work out for him either. Exactly, and they tie a rope to him, right? And pull him out of the Holy of Holies. Then right. he is going in there unrighteously. Perhaps. Possibly. That's, that's a high calling. But even if they didn't do that, if they did it wrong, he would die. Mm -hmm. This doesn't work so well for him. But they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. They had to have a way to pull him out. But the point, your, well, your point is right. Correct. Though. He has to, he has to be perfect. Right. Okay. There's only one. He has to do it right. Exactly. There's a there's a purpose. We don't know it, but God has purpose. We might not know it what right. the purpose is, but there is a purpose. But God's saying what He says. And that's the reason why I brought up earlier the whole idea of like nuclear power and explosions, because I think today we think about that and we feel like we understand it so well. Because it's been around for a long time, and, and you know we know they're very dangerous. But you know what? When they first started blowing up nuclear bombs, when they first invented them, they had no idea how they worked. So they would take our soldiers, and they would put them in the desert, and they would set up a nuclear bomb, and they would have our soldiers walk around afterwards like you're going to invade after the bomb had gone off, and they put on gas masks because they thought that if you didn't breathe it, you wouldn't have radioactive poisoning. They had no idea that it would come through your skin because every other chemical we'd ever dealt with, you breathed. When all they get, they, the, in World War I, they used horrific, awful chemical weapons. They were all gas-based. So you would breathe them and they would get in your, in your system and they would kill you that way. Well, the, we didn't understand how they worked. And I think it's kind of what you're talking about, Gloria. We don't understand 
how God works. And so God is putting these rules in place so that we don't have to understand it. We just have to obey. Exactly. So even though I may or may not necessarily be a nuclear physicist, I know I should not walk into the nuclear reactor at the Duke Power Energy Plant. It's a bad idea. You're not a nuclear physicist? Only in my, you know, a moonlighting. I haven't, haven't gotten the full-time degree yet. Just for the record, you would be apprehended far before... <laughs> Exactly where I was going. We've got a couple of analogies, but um, just with the story about the incense, I think it fits really well to um, thinking about the men's good motives. That you know they didn't, they weren't doing this maliciously. Right. I thinking of it like um, being in a crowd and just getting overwhelmed emotion and wanting to run up to our president and give him a big hug. Right. And if you go over waving your arms excitedly and wanting to do that, of course you're going to get knocked down and maybe even arrested. Or and, and, and it's just and it goes back so well to the idea of protocol. Our right. people in power, so our president and yeah. God also has all this protocol followed. I like that word rules. Right. It makes the rules seem like they're, Just, you know, yeah, a yeah, for, reasons, for such a purpose. Right, no, that's a really good point, Morgan. Thank you for that comment. Yeah, no, they, um, that's right, because I think that we have this a hierarchical system, and, and God is holy. You know, think about it. You use the example of presidents, it's a good one, and he's just another man. I mean, we're talking about meeting God. And uh, that's more? one of the, let's see what? How much more? How much more, right. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why, um, during this system, I mean, you look at the detail. Oh my goodness! Like the amount of it has to be done just this way, and it has to have this animal, and it has to be this old, and we have to take the blood, and we have to do this much with it. And when you take, you finish, you only use a, you know, only put certain things on the altar, and the things you put on the altar to burn them in this place. And it's like, I mean, the protocol as you used, or the the specific details are so intense because God is so holy, God is so dramatic, and. You know, my dad likes to use example of we're going back to the garden. Our goal is to get back to the place where we walk with God. Mm. There is a very big problem with that. Mm. We're not in the garden. Mm. We die. We sin. We let death into the world. We got kicked out of the garden. So now we live in a place where getting back to that point takes a lot of steps. And you can't just pretend like you're there. And the only way to get back there is through a very specific pattern or pattern that God has laid out, and that was in this way. Now, the beauty of it is, when we did it right, what happened? They met with God. I don't think we can understand that today. I think today we so, you know, we've had emotional, spiritual experiences. We've maybe prayed, had a really good prayer session, or a really good praise and worship session, or had a fast, and we really felt like we connected with God. That's on a spiritual level. But the people of Israel got to interact with God physically. They saw fire from heaven. They knew that God's not only not only was present among them, but that he approved of what they had done, and they could see it. And that experience was uh, unbelievable. I mean, God actually tells every generation of the children of Israel, remember what you saw on the mountain, Mount Sinai. This was God with us. And the tabernacle was bringing that with them. So it was a huge deal, so we had to do it right. I got Gregory and my father-in-law. The, the protocol, I think, is great. And right before, so the, the two verses that lock together, both chapter 9 and chapter 10, describe kind of the both uh, examples. And so I think the protocol, is it's really cool. I think it's probably right here in chapter 9, verse 24. Their proper response to Hashem's glory coming down in fire and consuming the altar, it says, the people saw and sang glad songs and fell on their faces. Right. That was the protocol. 
It was a worshipful experience. Mm -hmm. Not you weren't supposed to do anything else. That was what you were supposed to do. And the bookend, it's the next verse, is what the sons of Aaron do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Which is contrast. Which is contrast. Absolutely. Good point. Yes, sir. I was going to move us to Leviticus ten, verse four. Moving along. Uh, You know the aftermath of the dead bodies, right? Right. So uh, Moshe calls Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel. And I didn't realize until just now that their names are amazingly cool. So Moshe does not get the other two sons of Aaron. Right. Jadobah. They can't. They're kind of, they're in a, they're kind of occupied. Right. They're going to offer offerings. They're, they're going to be needed. Really needed. And, and their work cannot be compromised by a dead body. It's kind of like with Yom Kippur, they would keep tradition holds, they would keep the high priest up all night long the night before Yom Kippur, make sure you can do anything you shouldn't do to make him unclean, because then he could do Yom Kippur. So this is where the the presumed story of uh, uh, the Good Samaritan, I mean, he's not called the Good Samaritan, I mean, we made that up, but the the Samaritan, does right because he puts life first. He puts people ahead of, of the protocols. And there was nobody the there to help in this case. Exactly. But we should understand why the priest would have avoided touching what the story makes clear looks like a dead body. Right. So you, I mean, you can come Once you're unclean, you can't do the offering. Exactly. You you're, you're out for 24 hours. Oh, and no, late, no, you're, no, out, a week. you're out for over a week. Right. There in are fact, some things you're out for hours. You're out there. Although he's leaving. Whereas these guys were actually in the right. tabernacle grounds and yeah. they weren't permitted to leave. Absolutely so not. once they're there, it's like you're done. You can't leave. That's right. right. So we got eight days out of service. You're right. You're right. right. Anyway, Mishael is, is cool. It's again, verse four. Mishael means who belongs to God. Okay. So I'm thinking that in the context of these two guys that just died. Okay. All right. And his cool. brother, Elzaphan, means God is my hiding place. Well, okay, well, that's pretty cool, too. And Uziel, of course, as, well, Uziel knows, is God is my strength. Kind of like Yechezkel, which is my son's middle name. Yeah. So you, you've got these three names in one verse that are all about getting these two guys and, and make it right, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they appear, at least by name, to just be... A living declaration hmm. of who's 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 really a part of God, and I would argue, since this verse ends with Aaron, that the priesthood is all about being a part of God and being the intermediary and being hmm. that mm-hmm. that focus of God is your hiding place. He is your you know who, who's who's it's it. So, uh, you know, the names are not by accident. No, that's very cool. uh, And we've got uh, examples living on. These two guys uh, remind a lot of the two guys with the Pesach offering, which we saw uh, in Numbers, Pesach Shani. They also remind me of a couple other various guys. One's name was... Nicky. Nicodemus, leader of the people. And... uh, Joey. Joseph, Abundance, um, that uh, also were unclean for 
uh, someone very important. Exactly. And, um, and so these men... They're these, burying their friends. You know what's amazing? Yeshua. You mentioned their names. Yeah, taking care of Yeshua. You mentioned their names, Elzaphan and Mishael. Do you know what's remarkable about those names? That you know those names. Their names are in the Torah. Yeah. You know how many times you read the Torah and it goes, and so and this happened. And it doesn't really tell you who did it, who they're from. These guys are not only named, their father is named. Make sure you know, because there might be quite a few Mishaels. This was the Mishael that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It was Mishael ben Uziel, because they were obedient. And you know what's cool about it is they were obedient when it came to dealing with that. And I think that's something that's very important. Mm -hmm. um, uh, having just gone up to a funeral uh, for my wife's aunt, uh, you, you, I think it's one of those times, one of those rare times in life where um, just being there is important. Mm -hmm. And right. sometimes that's all you should do because right. sometimes you can't, not to get carried away and say something you shouldn't, but you know, it's like death is one of those times that no one likes. It's very uncomfortable. As we're talking about with the, there's a separation here. So these guys, they, they touch these dead bodies. They're out of commission for a little while for not only for it, maybe their role wasn't so much offering offerings, but they couldn't go into the tabernacle during that time. So they couldn't celebrate with the rest of the people. Um, so God calls them out by name. He says, these guys are important enough. I'm going to spend, a, you know, a dozen letters of the word of God to put their names in writing forever. Pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good name. Yeah, um, I looked at it. I couldn't find another Elzaphon. I mean, you, yeah. It's like Harold. It's a dying name. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things here that's also very powerful, it says, Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Itamar, do not leave your heads unshorn. Do not rend your garments that you do not, that you not die. And he become wrathful with the entire assembly. And your brethren, the entire house of Israel, shall bewail the conflagration that Adonai ignited. And this is the next verse. And they carried out Moses' bidding. So, um, the sages spend most of the rest of, the, of this portion coming back to this point. Moses and Aaron, or Aaron and his two sons have an unspeakable family tragedy. Two of his sons, two of their brothers, die on the same day, the same moment. Unbelievably awful. It's a problem. They're in the middle of this ceremony. It's extremely important, if you read the, uh, the rules, that you can't be in mourning and offer offerings to God. Like, there's, there's, it, God is not about death, right? So that's the whole idea. Garden, we introduced death, we got kicked out of the garden. Death and God don't mix. So, Moses tells Aaron and, and the two remaining sons, look, you guys need to not act like this happened. You need to remain quiet. You cannot mourn the way you would normally mourn. You need to continue with the protocol, with the ceremony. And they do. And the next, I mean, repeatedly in the rest of this portion, you see God spoke to Aaron. And the sages go, well, where was Moses? God specifically gave Aaron his own commandment. He singled him out as a special one-on-one -on -one conversation because Aaron was silent. God spoke to Moses and Aaron. Speak to them to tell the children of Israel. This is chapter 11, talking about all the different things we can eat and can't eat. And the sages go, who was the them? Itamar and Eleazar. It was the other sons of Aaron. Well, why, does, why does God specifically have Moses and Aaron tell Aaron's sons to then tell 
the children of Israel. Well, his sons merited that because they were silent. They, they obeyed God in the midst of this mourning. Think of the contrast to Nadab and Abihu. They got carried away with their emotion and their excitement. And in the midst of some very deep, painful emotions, Aaron and his remaining two sons keep it together. They do what they have to do because they're determined to do it right, even when it was difficult. And uh, thinking about that, um, keeping it silent, it, it's, it's not just that they didn't mourn the way they would normally, it also is the, the fact that they didn't, they didn't get angry with God. You know, this is a very easy opportunity to be upset, to rail against God, to interrupt the whole ceremony and be like, you know, what have you done? Um, instead, they acknowledge that God's in charge and he has reasons. And out of that, God rewards them very richly for that point. Um, I think it's a good lesson for us, too, because we have these things. We have things that happen to us. You don't understand. Uh, reading, uh, listening to a podcast from Jeremy and Ari this week, Rabbi Gintel and Rabbi Abramowitz, and they're talking about this uh, really tragic situation. It's a little boy who's two and a half years old, and he has cancer. Um, uh, Yakir Ephraim ben Rachel Devorah, if you have your prayers, they you have the boy's name, his mother's name. So, Yakir ben uh, Rachel, son of Rachel. He, uh, and they were talking about the struggle here, dealing with how do you deal with a tiny child? It's an answer. But they were talking about, like, but for them, they read that someone read a letter someone had submitted and said, because of you and your influence, and you're talking about this, there are people literally all over the world that are spending extra time in prayer for this little boy. There are people all over the world that are doing extra good deeds because they're wanting, they're wanting, you know, they're wanting to connect with God to pray for this little boy. People reading extra psalms because they want to connect with God and, and pray for this boy. You know, Ari's even talking about life changes he's making because he's like, okay, God, you got my attention. What do you want from me? And and he was saying, like, the thing is, right now, we it's like it's all about everyone else, about faith. We got to believe that God wants, is doing, God's in charge. He's doing things on purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's not just when horrific tragedies happen, but it's especially at those times that we have to double down and focus and realize, let our emotions carry us away and say, no, God's in charge, and this is okay. My mom. I just thought it was interesting at the end of chapter 10, where Moses is upset with him for not eating the sin offering. And Aaron is just honest. And he says, I did everything, but if I had eaten it, Right, and it's the amazing about that is that um, the teachers go on to explain what Aaron's doing there, and they point out, they look at the logic. Aaron doesn't just say, I, 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 I don't got it in me. I can't, I can't eat this one. It's, it's a step-by-step -step process. Aaron's, Moses says, you can do these offerings because they're mourning. Farmers are not allowed to do certain offerings, but there were certain offerings that they were doing as part of their inauguration ceremony They were literally going to happen one time all of history. And Moses says, you do those. God commanded me, you do those. So Aaron does those. 
There were some other offerings on that day, as we talked about earlier, Rosh Kodesh and Shabbat offerings and all this. There's other offerings for special days. This also happened to be a Rosh Kodesh. So there were offerings for Rosh Kodesh that they offered as well. So Moses, or, so Aaron does all the offerings that are special to that day. They're done once ever, and he gets the Rosh Kodesh offering. And he thinks to himself, you know what? I'm not supposed to do normal offerings when I'm in mourning. So I can't do this one. Moses gets upset. Moses is like, but you're supposed to do the other ones. And Aaron points out, saying, but, but this isn't one of those time-only meals. This is a normal offering. Therefore, I shouldn't do it because I wouldn't be allowed to do it normally. And so to my to your point is this, it, in the midst of that, in the midst of that tragedy and the heartache, he realizes he can't go through with it. And he, and he has to hold back to some degree. He's still thinking about it. He's still obedient. And I think that's what's so important to us to think about Job. What does Job's wife say? Job's wife says, just curse God and get it over with. You know, if life's bad enough, you might as well just go ahead and let your feelings come out. You know, be true to you. You know what the reality is, is that most of us have parts of us in us that are pretty awful, and we should probably never be true to them. So, uh, more importantly is, be the best version of you. Aaron, in this moment, in the midst of all this emotion and tragedy, he's still thinking. He's still looking at it and trying to see what would God want me to do. I think that's incredible. And when you look at Aaron, and he gets a lot of, and he's in trouble quite a bit for the golden calf thing. We don't give him the credit that he deserves. But he's an amazing man. And this, this week's portion, I think, emphasizes that significance. Got my father along. Uh, so we, uh, we went up to the funeral you were to which you referred, and uh, good grammar. Thank you. Trying not to dangle it for us as a friend. Uh, but I was telling some of my kids uh, that we had experienced, as it were, uh, a little piece of high church, <laughs> where the the priest is in front of the people. Right. People have very little of anything to do with the service. The priest is that intermediary. And uh, of course, this was part of the break between Catholicism and Protestantism and, and so forth. Um, but regardless of whether you're high church, middle church, low church, it's clear that the nation was eventually to be a nation of priests, and all of us are called into that. Hmm. Not that we're you know at, you know taking someone else's role. But then individually, with, within our families, that's that's a role. And it's interesting here that we, we actually have that. That he says, uh, the reason why you're not allowed to drink wine or strong drink, you worry yourselves when you go to the tent of meeting, and it's going to be a statute for throughout your generations. Why? Because you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statute that the Lord has spoken to them by motion. That's their job. That's their primary role. Not to bring up sacrifices as much as it is to teach the people. And God help us, because we haven't been doing that in this country for many, many years. Well, and my dad probably would point out where the passage is, but isn't it somewhere in the prophets that's where the problem with the, the priesthood at that time? They were corrupt. So what? You did not teach. Right. They, they didn't do that job. 
And I think that... Um, so the prophets did. Yeah, the prophets had to, but no one listened. Yeah. I think to your point, are very few. Some did. There's always a remnant. But I think that to your point, that is something that, um, that we lost. In the 1960s, we took the Ten Commandments off the walls of our school. But you know what? You're right. That is where it manifested. But you know who was to blame? Not to blame. Not to place blame. Where we failed mm -hmm. was the 1940s and 50s. Because they didn't do what you're talking about. The people in the 1960s should have never even thought about taking the Ten Commandments off the wall. Because they had been taught better by the people over them. That would have never entered their minds. Everyone points to the 1960s as the time when, you know, we started introducing all sorts of immorality. We, we kicked God out. You know, Time Magazine, God is dead. Do you know why they did that? It's because they did, weren't taught correctly by the generation before them. In mind, the generation before them, women were forced into the workplace, and men were overseas fighting and dying. Right. So we well, damaged the generation. I will say, having been a part of that and being in a young teen, pre-teen, Remembering being in the back seat of the car and wondering why are my parents not speaking out against this? Mm. That is what I saw as the problem. Mm. The my parents' generation did not stand up. I think they took it for granted it would never happen. Uh, so well, they took no that's what's action. What's happening right now with regard to the Second Amendment? Where if they had stood up correct. and made their voices known, sent it to the Congress, it would have never passed. Because in that generation, they did listen to the masses. When they voted, mm -hmm. you, you might see something immoral on the TV set. You would write that broadcaster and say, we, yeah, it would be gone. I saw it, personally. So I don't agree. I believe it was my parents' generation just did not stand up as we stand up against a bully. Mm. You know, it takes a strong man to stand up against a bully, as we're seeing right now in our own midst, you know, of North Korea, stand up, and I'm sorry, I'm not mean. Right, no, I hear what but you're anyway, saying. it's like, you've got to have a strong man. It's like, what is it? A good man with a gun stands against the evil man with a gun? I mean, you got to have, you have to stand sometimes. Preaching system. <laughs> and, and in Israel, that's what you see happening. You have the, you know, you have the school where they have a man with a gun oh, out with the students. They're not allowed to go out without being protected. Right. Okay. So you have to have strength. Right. And stand up for what's right. Right. Well, and also even in your own home. I mean, going back to the teaching point, I think that's the other thing too. Is um, you 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 were a very observant teenager, good for you. I wish we had a lot more teens like you in the 1960s. But um, when when fa families don't do a good enough job of speaking out at home even, I mean, that's the thing. Think about what my dad sent an article around, and something, I mean, unbelievable percentage in this country grew up with basically, for all intents and purposes, no father. Whether they actually have no father, their father is just a very poor example. Um, I mean, the African-American community is something like 70%. I mean, it's off the charts, the number of men who are out of the home. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, but the damage that that does, because they don't mm -hmm. see a good example, no one corrects them when they do something wrong, and no one's watching other people do something wrong and saying, we don't do that. When we took God's Word out of the government indoctrination schools, <laughs> it put immense pressure on families 
to make up for that teaching. Mm -hmm. And we didn't do it. Or North Carolina is an amazingly conservative state and one of the first states ever to have a department of non-public education because we didn't agree with the education going on from the state. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, I'm very grateful I was not in that system. Thank you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, so, that, so that Aaron and his, and his sons, his remaining sons, they finish out the offerings perfectly. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They get to this one part at the end, and there's a big question about whether they were supposed to eat this offering. It's an interesting little dialogue. The sages talk a little bit about this importance of eating the offering. It's a sin offering. And that was really fascinating to me. Um, I didn't realize this, but because Moses, let's just read the verse. So where is it? It's in, uh, what's the end here? 1016. Uh, uh, yeah, 1016. Uh, 1017, so I'm getting to. So he, Moses is talking. He says, why did you not eat the sin offering in the place of holiness, for it is most holy. And he gave it to you to gain forgiveness for the sin of the assembly and to atone for them before Adonai. Now here's an odd part. I don't know if you noticed this. Um, I was kind of under the impression that offering the offering got forgiveness and atonement. But this verse says eating the offering achieved forgiveness and atonement. So this the, the priest, I'm uh, not that I haven't read the book, but it reminded me of the title of the book, The, the Sin Eater. The, uh, the idea of the priest, by eating the sin offering, he was actually effecting atonement or achieving forgiveness because of the you know, obedience he was doing. Well, it's got me thinking, because it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, why? That's an odd thing, eating. It's a very intimate thing. It's a, it's a sign of God's acceptance, you know. But then I thought, you know what it really, I think, boils down to? It's a tacoon. It's a repair. You know what the first, what was the first sin? We ate something wrong. We ate something wrong. We weren't supposed to eat that. So how does God fix that? Or one of the ways that he fixes it? Aaron eats something in obedience. And right after this, we move right into what is it you're allowed to eat? In the perfect, allowed. I couldn't, I thought that Bravo. too. It's like, well wow, how great is that? The next chapter is what Good we job. eat. And I think that is so cool because... When you go into the barbecue place and you have the chicken, or maybe in some cases the salmon, and don't eat the pork, um, you are actually helping to fix Adam and Eve's sin. I mean, uh, and how cool is that? I mean, it's a sm it feels like a small thing, and especially if you do it as a habit, you don't even think about it half the time. Um, but if you've ever walked into a restaurant and seen a very large menu and tried to find the one thing on the menu you could eat, which may or may not have been what you wanted to have That's that day, uh, you have a little moment when you kind of experience sacrifice that comes with doing the right thing. But the point is that in the moment, you are affecting atonement. You're fixing the world. Because Adam and Eve said, kind of like Nadav and Abihu said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to listen to God. And it had horrible consequences. And and so God is piece by piece fixing the world. Interesting that Micah brought up earlier that one that the sages say is one of the commandments, this passage is what not to drink. When to, when not when not to drink, I should say. They're allowed to drink wine, but they shouldn't drink it too much of it when they're doing the offerings, right? There's a set there's a protocol for when to drink. Then the next passage, chapter eleven, what to eat. God cares about stuff. And I think so oftentimes we lose track of that. We let that uh, we let our emotions or our desires or whatever, our lusts, carry us away, as uh, Rabbi Ari was talking about in the podcast. So, um, so yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. It's like in our small way, we're helping to fix and save the world. I got Gregory in the deck. 
And I think my father-in-law brought up that verse that we read before about te- the priest's teaching and their responsibility to teach. And so it's cool that that follows right after that, is that this is them teaching exactly what mm. you're supposed to eat. And the other neat thing was uh, Tim Hegg was sectioning these off, showing how the first part is about the corporate holiness, the nation's holiness, and the protocol for that. And then we have here the example of the individual's holiness. Ah. Uh, and yeah. how this is the protocol for an individual in his private home where no one else is around right. to be holy. Right. Well, Which great shows book. character. Yeah. It does. Do it yeah. shows character. It was, it was neat, too, because he brought up the verse from First uh, Corinthians 10, where it's like, you know, whatever you do in food or drink, do it unto the Lord. Right. And, and you, this is the example of that. And the sages have other things, too. They talk about the idea of, like, the table as, like, an altar... So when you're eating, it's an opportunity to be talking about the Torah, talking about God's word, um, as a time to elevate that, to bring a wholeness. We blessed God after we ate, another step of making a normal thing holy. Uh, at the end of Shabbat, you'll say the prayer, and say God distinguishes between common, or whole in Hebrew, and holy, and Kadesh, right? So the idea is common and holy. Well, they're, they're mostly separate. We have six days of work and one day of, of holiness, one day of rest. But what we are called to do as God's people is to infuse the common with holiness. And by, and by doing these things when we eat, eating the right things, thanking God after we eat, blessing God after we eat, um, these different steps, we actually enable our, ourselves to make those common things holy, uh, which is really powerful and a chance to add that holiness into our own lives. I got my dad. It's actually really easy not to eat the wrong thing. All you have to do is basically show up at the well, I love I love a, a comment from Jim Gaffigan, the comedian. He's talking about crabs, and he's like lobster. It's like what? It's like it's a bug. He's like he's imagining like God looking at us, being like, How, "What else do I have to do to get to you? This is not food. I put it in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. It looks like some sort of giant bug." How hard is it to even find? Wrapped it in a hard shell. Right. It's like, what do I have to do to convince you this is not what something you're supposed to eat? Butter doesn't help. (laughs) That's what he said. He's like, yeah, I butter too. Why are we eating this to get to the butter? Um, And I, but but we're human, and and like we, like Adam and Eve, we want to do our own thing. We want to do it with other God wants us to or not. What's fascinating about this passage is that God gives this passage to the people of Israel, and the sages note, one of the sages notes. God can tell this to the nations. Not to say that it's not for them, because I think it is, but he doesn't, he doesn't pr- proclaim it to all the nations. And the, the parable they give that I thought was so good is uh, what, when a doctor knows, guys has advice about eating right, taking care of yourself, who's he more likely to tell that to? The terminally cancer patient or the person who has a chance to recover? He's probably going to tell the person who has a chance to recover to really get on them, you should be the right thing. I don't need to tell you this, because you know that. But... You know, you really should. Patient saying, Whatever you yeah, want. It's like, you're dying anyway, it doesn't matter. And and I feel like that, so I think sometimes it's hard when you're, when you go into the restaurant and you can't eat the things that you want to eat, um, or you watch the cooking show and think to yourself, that looked really cool, but they had to put bacon on it, you know, whatever. And um, that you can remember that God didn't do this arbitrarily. He didn't, you're not being picked on because he gave you extra rules. He gave you the rules because he loves you. Because you have potential. Because there's opportunity for you. Those who aren't keeping or don't know, it's almost like God's like, it's not, 
Okay, I mean, it's for you. You should know, but look, you're not going anywhere anyway. <laughs> but for you, tell, my point is to say, I'm not saying that God's not telling them and they shouldn't know. My point is to simply say that sometimes it can feel like, uh, doesn't it be nice to be ignorant? Ignorance is bliss. That's not true. God taught us this purpose because he's wanting us to become more holy, to become more like him, to experience him in this world. And, and I think that when you can experience God at the dinner table, you start to really understand that God is everywhere. You know, It's not just here during prayer service with the sitter in our hand that we're meeting with God. It's during Oneg. It's when we have you know, an afternoon snack when we go home, or not. Uh, when we have dinner with our families, we get in the morning and we're eating the breakfast bar in the car, and whatever it might be. This is an opportunity to meet with God. Um, and he's offering that to us. So rather than see it as a burden, I think we should see it as, as an honor that God chose us to give these mitzvot to. Yes, Gloria. Well, y'all help me. I'm remembering where I one thing there was it says okay, the sojourner. The sojourner still is to follow. Right. Okay. Now the sojourner is Gentile, correct? Right. Of the nations, correct? Right. Okay, so does that not kind of dispel what you're saying? And then, and then adding to that in the Brit, there where it speaks of we are one. We're oh, neither absolutely. Jew nor Gentile now. So would that not bring us to we are still to follow those laws? Oh, yeah. And I also want to interject this. When people say to me, that's the Old Testament. That doesn't really apply. I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you do too. And I, my comeback is, okay, well, those laws, the Ten Commandments still apply, okay? As does the law of gravity. <laughs> right. God created that in the very beginning. Right. The law of gravity. It's very old. It still applies. <laughs> that is one of God's laws. You cannot take that away. So if that is important, why wouldn't it matter? Absolutely. If we are to steal or lie commit adultery, honor our mother and our father. And keep the Sabbath. We are still, exactly, all of the ten. Would it not still apply? Absolutely. No, and thank you for saying that. I want to make it clear. I'm not saying by any means that the law not. commandments were not for certain people. Mm -hmm. I'm just highlighting the fact that God specifically gave them those instructions. In the same way that the doctor may not tell the cancer patient to eat right because the poor guy is dying anyway. It doesn't mean that eating right would be bad for him. It he actually might get rid of his cancer if the doctor knew a little bit more of his stuff. But the point is that um, that I think that what I'm trying to get at is that it's a privilege to be receiving the commandments of God. But that privilege came with the responsibility right. to teach the world. Exactly. That is true. That is true. I heard a really, I think it was Shalom Arush in one of his books, but it was a very interesting perspective on when you're talking about these laws to, with other people. And I think oftentimes there's a tendency, and I know I used to do this until I read this, but there's a tendency to kind of describe the reason that we want to follow these laws, like not eating bacon or something like that, and by, by bringing up the health thing. <laughs> yeah. And this, this particular rabbi was like, no, 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 you gotta let people, that's delicious. We, that would be amazing. But God said no. And we, we just listened to God. Right. And it's like, it's so interesting because then, because, you know, on the other side, it's like, oh, okay, so if it was healthy, then maybe you would be more tempted? Like, what, right. what's the implication right. on the other side? Right. And, uh, and I, anyway, I thought that was a, a great perspective as we interact with people because this is a very odd thing, especially 
when you I mean food comes up a lot if you're at work and stuff oh, with yeah. different lunch yeah. things that they have. Pork, Thankfully, <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> Thankfully, nowadays it feels like more people have a lot of weird dietary restrictions, so they always ask up front, like, does anybody have anything? Right. Or they have the signs on it, you know, gluten-free, vegetarian, you know, whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think the, I think what makes it difficult is not. I mean, when you, know, you get the gluten-free thing and the kosher thing and the, you know, keto and this and that, you know, all those vegan, we don't fit in there because it's not a question of whether I should eat this food and not eat that food. The way God puts it, this is food. This is not food. Right. It's not food you shouldn't eat. This is not food. Broken glass is not food. You shall not eat that. Boiling plastic is not food. You should not eat that. Pork is not food. This is, this is a completely different perspective than, well, I, I can't have gluten. Right. Amen. Right. No, I think it's the, that's kind of what Greg's getting at, is saying that, like, we need to infuse that holiness. Yeah. Well, not just be like, well, I, I can't but eat we need, But the but, problem is, it's not easy to say. True. Because there's no word for non-food in our language, <laughs> other than trash. You can call it trafe. But that doesn't work with anybody if they're not speaking Yiddish. <laughs> well, and it's I garbage, think... right? It's, you know, what do we call the, 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 the little sucker fish at the bottom of the, of the fish tank? He's in the garbage. He's a bottom feeder. Right. He eats the garbage. Exactly. That's what pigs do. Exactly. Why would we... You, this is not food. See, I think the thing is, like Greg was saying earlier, is we try to rationalize it too much, I think we still make mistakes. Because there's a big... Like the birds. Okay, the birds are weird. Some birds are okay and some birds are not. And some of the explanations are like, well, maybe it's because they're carnivorous versus not. Well, chickens eat a lot of bugs, so I don't think it's strictly about a carnivorous versus vegetarian dogs, type dogs thing. Are, bugs are not scavengers. Most of those are, are scavengers. Dogs still come in the carnivorous. Eating dead. Well, it, I'm not saying all of them do. I haven't really examined each one the of them, but most all all of them are scavengers. They eat. Dead and I flesh. think that that's designed to maybe highlight some of these things to help us to think about them. Mm -hmm. But I think you got a comment on it. I, I think it's a slope slope to because try to explain. Do, yes, to explain it because um, you can do that with a lot of other commands. And, you can and it away. Yeah, I the uh, funniest ones I've heard is that the the fire. It's so clear not to kindle a fire on Shabbat, but um, I've heard that the Jews were a nation of blacksmiths, and so for them, they weren't, because it just means not to work. Wow, a nation of blacksmiths. Yeah, they were, yeah, someone actually told me, all the Jewish people, there was a nation of blacksmiths. So, they, so it's just telling them not to work on Shabbat. For wow. us, we aren't blacksmiths, so it's fine to have fires. But wow. I've examined that like a lot, said, living right. with the fireplace like, a lot, you know, and it gets cold, the fire dies, and then, of course, you got some coals sometimes the next morning. It helps you start. You not actually have to start the fire. Right. Sure. Sure. You have coal sticks. Okay, but, but I've examined this a lot, and it's like my understanding is the word kindle in Hebrew really is like gathering the wood, which means you're going out and you are working. But if you've already got this gathered, pre-gathered, then you're not actually going out and gathering. I might be over justifying it, but. Well, if it's a matter of life and death, 
Exactly. Of He's I mean, a merciful God. Yes. But the, the point you're getting at is that we make a mistake sometimes trying to understand a commandment to the mm -hmm. point that we rationalize it. True. And then when we decide it's no longer convenient for us to keep it, we then can rationalize it away. True. And if we say, well, the reason we don't eat pork is unhealthy, and Big then, mistake. you know, the American Heart Association comes out and says, never mind, bacon's awesome, eat as much as you possibly Mother's can. Mother's milk is not healthy. Right. Right. What? Yeah, exactly. Whatever it might have to be. Eggs were bad. Now they're good. You should yeah. eat margarine. No, that will kill you. Whatever it might be. You know, so uh, they decide that bacon is the best thing you could ever have. Now all of a sudden, you know what? God wants me to be healthy. I should eat bacon. That's not the way that it works. And I think that's, I think we kind of go back to Nadab and Abihu all over again. There's such a great example of sometimes God's commandments don't need to make sense. You still must obey. And, and I think that you, and we're talking about this, this as you're talking about trying to be focused on, on the simple what does the text say? and we get in trouble when we try to put our own wisdom into it now if we research it and we understand what it's trying to get at from the Bible that's dangerous well that's that what be, Solomon did right see if you you can make the mistake but if you can but if you read it I, generally speaking things you're definitely supposed to do it does say what you should do King Solomon turns it 180 thing. degrees about Right. You shall, the king shall not do this. So he determined the reason why God said that, understood it wouldn't happen to him, so now the king can do this. Right. Rationalizing Oops. it at all is a real problem. Right. Trying to understand it is ridiculous. But studying the scriptures need, to know what the scripture says about it is good. We need to know what God said. Right. The deeper meaning can never contradict. The Peshat. The, the simple word. word. Right. Plain, it's, a, simple. It's, a, it's a cat. It's a when you're going through the levels of trying to understand the scripture, if your interpretation, after many years of study, is contradicting what it looks like on its surface, I talk about this at work. So I, I read rules passed by governments all the time. And unbelievably confusing, some of them. And you're looking at them and they say, do this and don't do that, and they want this, and it needs to be like this. And I, and I work with Mr. Martin, and I, and I say... Why didn't they just get a normal human being to read this before they printed it? Because they had so many lawyers trying to make sure it meant what they wanted to mean. Now it means nothing. Because it was the government and they wanted to trap people. Well, well maybe. The forked tongue. But the point is that, the, that, that, that they overthought it. They put so much into it, it now it's completely worthless. It's a giant, it's like one of those balls of our hands. It's so tangled, you have no idea what it was intended to do. And I'm looking at it and going, you know what would have been great is if they just said, thou shalt not. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. But then you have a job. Well, that's true. So we're grateful. <laughs> we're grateful. <laughs> you know, uh, janitors have a cleanup mess. I have a cleanup mess. More complicated than that. So the point is, at, at Rukh Hashem, God allows us to repair the world by correcting other people's mistakes. But the point is that, uh, and can do so. The point that I'm saying is, though, that like as humans, we have a bad tendency of doing that. We get so tangled around trying to understand something and try to make it uh, better that we sometimes lose track of the whole reason for it in the first place. And that's what God started with. God made it very simple. We just need to do exactly what he said. Now, we study, we learn. Maybe that means we do more. Maybe we learn to do just what he said. But we should never stop doing this. Yeah, Gregory. Doing the keeping the commandments just because God said to is what is required to kind of establish that fear of heaven. Right. The appropriate fear of heaven. Because it comes into play with all of the other things. It's sometimes, you know, food is one that comes up a lot, but even Shabbat, so many people will say, like, ah, isn't it great? Day of rest. It's 
all about the day of rest as opposed to like well that God said to that's why we don't work on Shabbat you know like just and even even from your kids why is it a good idea to obey your father and mother instead mm -hmm. of you know a lot of the answers are just like well it's the right thing to do you know as opposed to like because God said to that's what like that, that is the answer every time and and I, I think that helps us when we hear ourselves say that it helps us remember that like oh right yeah because yeah. God said to that's what it's all about right. it's not just because you know it's it's uh, a conservative value that we've learned and has passed on from the Puritans or you know like it's not it's not about do you remember the bumper sticker God said I believe it yes mm -hmm. that's that settled that settled yeah. that's no that's guys, totally wrong God said it. That settles it. <laughs> and that's what your was saying. Right. 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 Where, you know, it's, it's a mistake to try to, you know, uh, make a commandment seem more appealing by, by saying, oh, actually, that's just not healthy for you. Or, you know, uh, scientific studies have shown that resting one day a week, no matter what day it is, is really healthy for your mental health. By doing that, we actually imply that the command Right, mm -hmm. is optional. Because exactly. if you can't justify why it's good for you, then why would you do it? Right. Go back God would never right. have me do something. A lot of people get good. very wealthy by stealing. <laughs> True. A lot of you know. Like think of the government. It's good for their health. They lived a hundred. What's up with that? Yeah, yeah. So oh, it's not, it's not what it's about. Right. You know? Right. It's, it's about. Right. But he said what? The rabbi said what? <laughs> he said. Because God said to. So when it comes to the bacon, you know, it's, bacon's delicious. Yeah, I would love to have that on my sandwich right now, but God said no, so I don't. You think about that, what that, to go back to your point earlier, so God gives the commandments to the people of Israel, and I was using the example of, of cancer patient to say that like God loves us to give these commandments because he has, he believes there's potential for us, right? But you know what, as my father-in-law pointed out, what's the goal? The goal is that. The goal is when those cancer patients come up to you and say, so why aren't you eating the bacon on your sandwich? And you can say, because God said so. Hopefully, they start to think to themselves, well, that, that kind of makes sense. But their God loves them. Their God, their God thinks there might be some potential for them. What a wise God. What a wise God. Maybe I'm going to do that too. And you know what's amazing? Cancer, when it comes to spiritual cancer, is curable. God wants us to be lights so that people who have no hope can have hope. But it doesn't work very well if, as Yeshua pointed out, you hide your life. Mm -hmm. But when you keep the commandments because God said so, that is a light. God said, Yeshua said it very clearly. It's pretty salty. You obey, and guess what? Men will see your good works, and, and, and they will talk about what a nice man you are. No. They will give you a pay raise. No. These may all be true. They will glorify they, your Father in heaven. Right. God will be glorified. And you know what's amazing is that uh, we see this today. I mean, it's a, I read a hilarious article a few years ago that Koreans were studying the Talmud because oh, yeah. those Jews, oh my goodness, it's like everything they do is just turns to gold. Business They're so Jesus. successful. <laughs> and the Koreans were thinking, I want to be successful too. So I'm going to study the Jewish teachings because obviously they know what they're doing. <laughs> and you know, it's amazing. But you know, it's I mean, like at the end of time, you get to the end of this whole race, and it, as we say, said in the Elena this morning, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Everybody's going to obey God. Some people will do it more willingly than others. And you want to be in the boat of those who've been doing it the whole time, been practicing the whole time. And, you know, you bow when you're supposed to bow. When the fire comes from heaven, you hit the deck because, you know, that's what we do. Because that's what we've been, always been doing. And 
hopefully you've been living a life that other people could see so that the guy next to you is bowing too at the right time. Um, and that's, that's our goal. And that's what we were talking about earlier, to teach. I think it's so cool that God, Moses tells Aaron, you do this in front of the people. You tell the people what we're doing. You know why? Because you have to teach them. I'm not going to be here forever, and I can't teach them everything. You have to teach them. He doesn't say, so tomorrow, I'm not going to be here. Uh, could you teach people? Well, I'm standing right next to you. I want you to teach the people. Leviticus 11 comes around. And God tells Moses and Aaron, you tell Aaron's sons, you go teach the people. It was a generational faithfulness of teaching each one. When I was 13 years old, my dad, was 13 I guess, a young, young man, my dad had me teach his adult Sunday school class, which I have to say was really scary. I'm really glad that no one could tell how much sweat I was pouring off during, during the teaching. Um, and he sat in the class. He didn't need me to teach it. He pulled that nonsense on me, that too. The worst. He didn't need me to. He, he wanted me to, and he walked me through it. He showed me how to do it, and he pushed me to do it. My father-in-law is good at this. There's a lot of men in this room that have been asked to do various and sundry things in the service or in the core discussion, whatever. Saudi class, teaching class on Tuesday night. He didn't need us to do it. Uh, he's done it himself quite a bit. As he likes to say, I'm doing it either way. You can be here if you want. Um, but the intent is to pass that on. Amen. And so if, if our goal is to teach the nations, we sort of have to start teaching each other. But if you're going to teach, you have to also pass it on to the next person to teach. And that is this generational pattern. So that at the end of time, we're all hitting the deck together. You have literally grandparents and grandchildren and great-grandparents and great-grandchildren over generations that have been saying, we don't eat bacon because God said not to. Final comments? Probably to add on to that, it's just uh, the in addition to the God said not to, then comes to your point before, the scripture study, so that when you are tempted by, did God really say that? Right. Mm -hmm. You have the right response. Right. Very good. Which so the, the first to say that was? Back to the garden. Back to the garden. Right. Garden. So that's our responsibility as parents, to start with the fear of heaven by saying, because God said to. God said to. And then to your point, like your father did, to teach you to be able to teach others, because you've internalized it so well that you know why, what God said, and you can defend it. Absolutely. And now right. it's your faith. And to understand it, not to rationalize it away, but to understand it well enough to appreciate it more. And on in the back. I'm just glad we have a good father who's given us so many other good things to eat that we really don't That's true. And that's, that's so true. And that's what I was trying to get at earlier, is yeah. it's a privilege to have these commandments. And it's so easy sometimes to um, make the mistake of pretending like the commandments of God are a burden. He gave us <laughs> right. He loves us. He loves us so much. And avocados. <laughs> and when we mix chocolate and avocados, peanut butter together, it is a harmony. And strawberries. There we go, right? Strawberries, yeah. He gave us a lot good. of good things With because chocolate. he loves us. He is so good. And, and, and you know what? We, um, we should not lose sight of that. And in, and in the midst of the mitzvot, we should actually realize they're another, another act of God loving us. Like you were saying earlier. Talking about it's not about because it makes you unhealthy. True. But God has reasons we don't necessarily understand. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this book, at the end of this chapter, what does he say? 
that you may be holy as I am holy. You know, we get a chance to be God. That was the whole point in the garden, right? That was what Hasatan was offering them. You eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. There was one very important fact that Eve was forgetting. She was already like God. God made her in, in his image. She didn't need to do something God said not to to be more like God. In fact, doing something God would not do makes you further away from further away from God. 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 And if you obey God today, we can become more like him, which is our real purpose in life. So, Amen. Um, if I can get Mr. Martin to close us in prayer. Absolutely. Father, we, uh, we thank you. You've given us these commands. We don't have to figure out. We pray that we would demonstrate our obedience to others and be an encouragement to others uh, day in and day out and, uh, and be a light to, uh, to the others we come in contact with, not for uh, glorifying ourselves, but for the purpose of glorifying you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your commandments. Thank you for the day of rest you've given to us. We pray all these things in the name of Yeshua, our risen Savior. Amen. Amen.